Uh, I'm not going to have you stand because I'm just going to read a, just a short portion of one verse as an introduction. It's Galatians 4, verse 4, if you want to look there. It's just a brief word. Give me just a chance to see it if you want. It says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. I'm just going to use that as an introduction. But let's pray. Father, as we were gathered here this morning on this beautiful day you gave us, I am just a vessel and flawed at that. But this is your story. And I pray that it will flow out with anointing and touch our hearts as never before in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's an introduction back in the 1950s. That was before any of y'all, most hardly any of us, there's, there's, there's two or three of us that were born then. <laughs> but not long after that, uh, there was on TV, there was a, a, a show on Sunday afternoon called You Are There. And they showed films, not Hollywood actors, but real films of the war, of World War II. The actual action, the fighting, the, the, the victories, the losses, all, all the terrible things that went on. And there was a man named Walter Cronkite, and he narrated the, the films as they showed them. Well, as I watched those things, it, it truly was as though I was there. It put me in perspective to what was going on. And I got a real understanding of the awfulness of war and the price it, and sacrifice it, it took to win the victory. So today I'm going to title this, You Are There. And today I have no films to show you, but I want to paint pictures, mental pictures in your mind. So if I, if I was to say in, that in my mind I see an apple tree and it's full of red apples, because you have knowledge of that, you see one too. Everybody see an apple tree? Red apples on it. Mine may be bigger than yours, maybe littler, but we all we all can can picture that. We can we have a mental picture of an apple tree. So this morning we're going to go back in time about two thousand years to Israel. We're going to start to paint a picture in Jerusalem and go from there. You are there. I am there in this picture. As we come near the city, we focus on the high stone walls around the city and the huge wooden gates that close at night to keep out the wild animals and the enemy. You see it? You have a mental picture because you've seen things. You have a mental picture of this. Upon entering the city, we see a man speaking. 
There's a large crowd gathered around this man. There's nothing unusual about him. He's just a typical Jewish man speaking. Yet because of his words, we're, we're drawn to him like a magnet draws metal. There's something about this man and the words he speaks that draws us to him. And we listen. We listen. And he's preaching. He's actually preaching. He's preaching about repentance, about God's forgiveness, about the kingdom of heaven and salvation, which brings eternal life. And as we listen, those words are anointed to our hearts, and we're 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 amazed at this man. What what is who is this man? Who is this man? Well, we asked someone in the crowd there that's gathered around. This person says, "Well, some say he's the Messiah. He actually calls himself the Son of Man. Yet some dare to even say he's the Son of God." But Others say, we know his family. We know where he lives. He works in his dad's carpenter shop. He can't be a son of God. He's just another person trying to make a name for himself. But they call him Jesus. That's his name. They go on to tell us that he heals the sick and even does all kinds of miracles. Lame walk, blind see, deaf hear. Well, is this true? So we began to follow this man from place to place. We're drawn to him. And on the Sabbath day, he goes in the synagogue and he stands up before all these religious leaders and he reads from Isaiah 61. And believe it or not, he says, I am fulfilling this prophecy. Can you see the faces? Can you see the faces, faces of the religious leaders sitting there looking at this guy and thinking, what, are you nuts? Who are you anyway? Then he accuses them of having no faith. I mean, he just told them that I am going to fulfill these scriptures, and then he says, you have no faith in God at all. And they're so angry now that it just hits them, it hits them right in the heart, right in the gut. And they know it's true. Nevertheless, they grab him and they're taking him out of the city, dragging him along. You see him? We're there. You're there. And they're about to throw him over this cliff. You think, oh my, they're going to just, they're going to kill this man. But wait a minute. He just disappeared. How'd that happen? Did you all see him? We don't know where he went. I didn't see what happened to him either. He just, he just, he's gone. And he left a whole bunch of angry, frustrated religious leaders trying to figure out what happened. We were going to get rid of this guy. Well, later, a little further down the road, we find this Jesus again. He's still preaching. He's still healing the sick. We're amazed. And suddenly there a man approaches him full of leprosy. Whoa. 
the crowd steps back, everybody gets out of the way, us too. Nobody wants to get close to a leper. But do you see it? This Jesus is about to touch this guy. He's going to actually put his hand on a leper. Oh, my. And the leper says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And the the Lord says, I will heal you, be thou clean. And instantly, can you see it? Can you imagine in your mind that leprosy is gone? His skin is clean, as white as it should be. And he goes into a high-stepping dirt-kicking dance, and we all get to dancing with him. Can you see that in your heart? A man cleansed of leprosy instantly like that. You can't help but rejoice. You can't help but get excited about it. We all went praising God for the deliverance that this man received. So we follow him along, along with the crowd. We're amazed at this man. Next thing we see is that there's a blind man. He, he throws off his robe and all he has, and he takes off for this, for this Jesus. He runs up to him. Again, people are saying, shut up, get out of the way. He's not got time for you. But Jesus says, and the man yells out, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus looks at the man, walks up to him and says, what is it you want? He says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. What a request. Jesus says, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. He didn't even touch him. He just spoke words, and immediately he received his sight. Can you imagine? And he and everybody there goes bananas. Your term, you're familiar with the term bananas? It means you just go dancing and you, you lose all control of yourself and your dignity. And you just dance and praise God. Well, that's what we all are doing right here in this situation. But in spite of all the good this man Jesus is doing, we see a group of men standing off to the side. He on his long robes and he got on all this religious garb and things hanging around their necks and they have this look of anger and hatred. You see them? You see it in your eyes. They hate him. He's breaking all the rules they've set up and established. He heals people on the Sabbath. Oh, what an awful person this is, that he would do such a thing. He eats with sinners. He forgives people of their sins, so he says. And he won't shut up. And then again, this loving, gentle Jesus looks straight in their eyes and he blasts them with piercing words. He has no fear of them. He says, you hypocrites, whitewashed sepulchers, clean on the outside, full of dead men's bones on the inside. Can you see the expression on their faces now? I'm going to kill him, they say. We're going to kill him. We gotta kill this man. 
So they began to plan and plot, try to figure out how we're going to do this, how we're going to catch him away from the crowd that follows him. And as hard as it is to believe, one of his own hand-picked disciples, a man named Judas Iscariot, goes to the high priest and makes a deal. He makes a deal with these people to lead Jesus, lead them to Jesus by night so that the crowds won't be there and they'd be easy to capture him. So Judas goes and makes a deal for 30 pieces of silver. It's estimated that that might be worth $19. To betray the man that he walked with for three years and saw and did all the wonderful things he did, somehow the devil entered into his heart and mind and Judas was no longer in control. Well, a few days later, Jesus knows that he's been betrayed. But he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see him there in the evening. We don't understand why, but he's on his knees praying. He's praying with such intensity that there's blood and sweat dropping from his brow. This is something... We can't even imagine. And three times he goes and prays and he asks God, let this cup pass from me. We see him there. We're, we're moved by it, but we don't understand it. It seems as though maybe he's no, he, he knows he's going to die in a few hours. What we don't know at this point is his suffering will be terrible and he will bear the sins of all men. And to add to that, his father will temporarily separate from him and leave him alone to die. Well, he rises from his knees and we hear him say, Not my will, Father, but thine be done. Well, not long in the evening, we see a large crowd coming. Roman soldiers, chief priests, scribes, elders of the church coming with swords and clubs. They're coming to arrest him. They expect him to resist. They're ready for a fight. And who's leading the crowd? Judas. Judas is leading them all there. He's going to show the soldiers which one is Jesus because Jesus has his disciples there with him. The soldiers don't know for sure which one he is. So believe it or not, Judas walks right up to Jesus, says, Master, Master, and kisses him on the cheek. How could he do that? How could he do that? 
How could he betray this man who loved him so much? But they lay hold of Jesus. He doesn't even resist. The 11 other disciples, they all run. Run for their lives. Because they're afraid that they might die with him. They now leading Jesus to the high priest. And we're in the night. All this is at night. The chief priests are there and all the scribes. The high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Jesus answers, I am. I am. Did you hear him say that? The high priest goes into a raging fit. He says, this is blasphemy. We have every reason now to kill this man, for he has blasphemed God by saying, I am the Son of God. So they grab him up and they spit on him right away, spit right in his face. They throw a cloth covering over his head. They start hitting him. They slap him this way and that. They hit him with their fists. Not just once. They hit him with their fists. They beat him with their fists. It's hard to watch. It's hard to see that this loving man is being beaten this way. We want to do something, but we can't. Doesn't anybody care? Doesn't isn't somebody able to stop this? They can't. He's been up all night. Now it's morning. They're taking him over to Pilate, the Roman governor. They want to get permission to kill him. Really, actually, they want the Romans to kill him. But they say, that's all right. Let his blood be on our hands. We don't mind. We just kill him. Pilate questions him. He has no response. It's all silence now. Pilate examines him. He says, I can't find any problem, any reason to kill this man. So he sends him over to Herod. Herod examines him. He says, I don't, I don't understand why you want to kill him. They send him back to Pilate again. This, and Pilate questions him, but he finally says, well, to please you Jews, we'll let him be crucified. But first, let's, let's, let's give him a beating. Let's give him another beating besides what he's already taken. So they take him out, strip his clothes, bend him over in, in a prone position and start to beat on him with a whip. It's a wooden handle with long leather straps. And at the end of every strap, there's a sharp object fastened to it. Bones, sharp rocks, pieces of metal. And with every lash, wham, wham, it cuts his back wide open. Again and again and again. And again, he takes it in silence. 
how can he do this? How can he, why didn't he pass out? How can he stay awake with all this they're doing? You see him now, bloody, beaten. They plait a crown of thorns out of some thorny vine. They stick it on his head. They take a reed and they beat on him. They beat it on his head. They drive the thorns into his skull. He's still up. He's still, he's had, he's still on his feet. They spit on him again. You were there. You see it all. The soldiers are mocking him. They're saying, Hail, pre praise to the king of the Jews. Well, it's now nine o'clock in the morning. They're leading him out of the city. We follow. They make him carry his own cross. But he's so weak, he falls. He can't take it. They compel another man to come help carry this cross. They take him to a little hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And as we watch with horror, they lay that cross down. They stretch him out on there and they drive a snail right through his right hand. They stretch out the left arm and they drive another nail right through his left hand. They put his feet together and they drive a nail right through his feet and nail him to that cross. And that, that's not enough. They raise that cross up and let it drop into that hole with a thud that nearly tears his flesh apart. You see him there, covered in blood, hanging, bruised and battered. He's dying, but it's going to take a few more hours. Near the cross, right down below, sitting on the ground, are some Roman soldiers. They're laughing, they're mocking, saying, come on down my cross. They gamble to see who gets his robe. You see him? Over to the other side there, just a little piece off. There they are again. These religious men, oh so godly, wrapped in all their religious garb and clothes. Oh, they're smiling now. We got him. We're finally getting rid of this man. This this false prophet troublemaker if he's the son of God let him come down off that cross a little further down the hill there's a group of women gathered together they're covered in tears and grief one of them is his mother Another one is Mary Magdalene. He had cast seven demons out of her. There were others there he had forgiven, 
they were they were just devastated by it all. And at the foot of the of the hill, there's the crowd all gathered there for the spectacle. We're there. You're there. I'm there. We're standing there watching. We don't understand what's going on yet, but we're watching. The eleven disciples, they're out there hiding somewhere, probably watching to see what happened. It's now noon, three hours, excuse me, three hours have passed, it's noon. And suddenly it begins to grow dark right in the middle of the day. An eerie feeling kind of comes over all of us all. What is happening? What is going on? The earth begins to shake. Rocks split, graves open. The curtain in the temple that separated the presence of God from the people is torn from top to bottom. Opening up God's presence to all men. And again, at this point, you and I are, we're burdened by the inhumane things that are happening to this man. But we really don't understand yet why he has to die. It's now three o'clock. It's been dark. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice that gives us a cold chill. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for a moment in time, God the Father withdraws his presence and allows his sinless son to die. And just before he dies, he cries out again, It is finished. It is finished. And he bows his head and dies. We stand there now struggling to navigate through all this that we have witnessed. Someone in a crowd brings out a scroll and begins to read from Isaiah 53. We think, what? It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment which we, which made us clean was placed on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. They go on to read, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, they shall see the travail, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And suddenly the Holy Ghost opens our understanding, our spiritual eyes. And we realize this prophecy of Isaiah it's coming to pass right before our very eyes as we stand there and watch it. This is the Son of God. 
He died because of my sin. He died because of your sin. Our punishment is being taken by him. The Lamb of God is being clothed with death so that we who have been clothed in filthy garments of sin might now by faith be clothed with the righteousness of God through Jesus' atoning blood. And now by the Holy Spirit we see our sinful nature, our sinful selves, and we confess our sins and ask Jesus to forgive us and bring us into a right relationship with God. We bow our heads and say, Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly come and dying in our place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes to see our sin and our need for a Savior. Three days pass. We go to the gravesite with Mary Magdalene. And we find that great stone has been rolled away. How did that happen? And suddenly an angel of the Lord speaks to us and to Mary. He says, Jesus is not here. He has risen from the dead. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive today. He's alive. And we are forgiven. As Psalm says, heaven gates are open wide. And all the power on heaven and earth is given unto him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for the likes of us. And because he lives, we can face each day, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, we know he holds us securely in his hands. And we know the Holy Spirit is going to guide us all the way to our eternal home. Can we lift up our hands right now and our hearts and praise the Lamb of God? Father, we praise you. We honor you. We thank you for your, your son who gave it all that we might live and live forever in your presence. Oh, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that song, Alive, Alive, Alive Forevermore? I'm not a song leader, but let's let's try to sing this, will you? Uh-huh. All right. You want to lead us, James? You, you know how to sing. <laughs> alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. Alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. My Jesus is alive forevermore. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. My Jesus is alive. Amen, amen, amen. He is alive. Praise God and praise God. And He is here present today in the Spirit. His arms are stretched out, but he's not on a cross. His arms are stretched out to you and to me. He says, come unto me, whatever your need may be, lay it before me. 
I am here and I am present with all power to heal you, deliver you, provide every need that you have. And this morning we are so grateful for our Savior. Well, I didn't tell you anything you didn't already know, but I pray that by putting us in the presence there, seeing the whole picture of what Jesus really suffered, because oftentimes we forget about all that he endured before he ever even got to the cross. And he did it all out of love. It's a love story that never grows old. And Jesus' sacrifice is something we don't ever want to forget or take lightly. We thank you, Lord, for again for all you have done for us and your sacrifice you made on our behalf. Amen. Father, we thank you again for your Son and his love and your love for us. May we never, ever forget it. May we ever live faithful to you because of what you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.